becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. Passing those other songs. Glimmer, glimmer, the ship's in the sea. Are we ready? I think we're going to say story in there to 10 times. 10 times? 10,000 times. 10,000 times. That's a lot of times. Well, let's get started. Sweet chef. We're starting this one out with a Craig and Moore Shores. That's right. The last of that bottle. Oh, the Shores. Thank you, Scots. God, it's just so good. It is so good. Man. Sponsored by Craig and Moore. Craig and Moore. 12. <laughs> um, welcome back. Yeah. We're still talking about story. We can't get off it. We can't. Um, it's kind of amazing. We actually had to stop our pre-podcast conversation. Well, we didn't actually, but we tried to. Because <laughs> we got the, like, we got stuck on the part of what's the deep, what's the deepest most profound story you can tell yourself about mm. yourself and your life and what you were going to project into the future. Yeah. And that was really, I felt like we kind of were like, well, there's a lot to mine there. Yeah. Although we're going to say story and narrative a hundred times, <laughs> <laughs> but then we said, fuck it. <laughs> well, there's some really just fascinating things about that. Cause what does that mean? I mean, this is a very, like this idea, I think, very, very much comes from Jordan Peterson, which is mm. <clears throat> what is the biggest story you can tell yourself about yourself? Mm. The grandest story. And, and, I, and really I think what that means is what's the highest aim that you could aim at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where I kind of was like, man, cause we were talking about that and I thought, I, I don't think I'm doing a very good job at that of like telling myself a grand story about my life, you know, into the future. Like what are the, you know, it's easy to say sort of like, what are the things that I want to do, mm-hmm. you know, but those all sound very small when you list them out. Yeah. Um, you know, what's really compelling, I think to anyone, to each individual is, is, you know, what is the story that those things are being told? You know, mm-hmm. it was like, I really want to have an airplane. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's kind of like, that's fun. <laughs> It'll probably be fun for like a week, uh-huh. you know, for that to be something that is really meaningful. It has, you have to ask the question, like, why? Mm-hmm. And the answer has to be bigger than, cause I love airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it has to be functional within a story that's grand enough to incorporate that into it. Yeah. Yeah, it can't be so simple as just, oh, I want an airplane. I want a piece of land. It's mm-hmm. like, well, what are you doing with that? Why? Right. How, how does this incorporate with, and the more layers and interconnectedness that you have between all the different things, it's like, I think that's where you start to see the depth and the breadth of why story is so important and what you believe. Uh, because I think, I think the other part, even the start, I think where you start with that is like to acknowledge the story you're telling yourself. Because it's like we're... we're whether you want to call it your subconscious or, or whatever, it's like we are telling ourselves a story and, you know, uh, uh, Peterson and, and uh, Stephen Fry kind of get into this a little bit and, and narrative and why it's so important. But it's like, there's a story that we're telling ourselves, whether it be like, Oh, we're just, uh, apes and we're horny and angry and, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> right. you know, it's like, 
we like to beat up things and we have these moments of consciousness or, or whatever it is. Our life is the consequence of cause and effect mm-hmm. even. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's a story. You, you're not open to other possibilities. And yeah. at the same time, story also uh, closes yourself off to other possibilities or other aspects. You know, it's like, cause you do have to like, you have to narrow your gaze a little bit to aim at something. You mm-hmm. can't just like, I guess you got to do machine gun it, but, <laughs> but you probably wear yourself out pretty quickly. Wear yourself out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so what does that mean to you? Like, as far as like, cause you you kind of were saying that that was not something that you felt was uh, in the forefront of your mind as far as like what story you're telling yourself right what now. The like, what is. the grand narrative is. What the grand narrative is. Like what, what, why, why, how, how, and why can you say that? <clears throat> like, how can I say that I'm, I'm not doing a good job of that for mm-hmm. myself? Um, well, I wonder if part of it, it just has to do with where I am in my life age. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that when you're younger, the, the grand narrative is sort of dictated to you or at least the sort of the categories of it. And in so much of it lives in the, the realm of potential. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't really have to articulate it all that well. You know, you say these things like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a spaceman. I, oh, astronaut, I guess. Would be the spaceman. <laughs> I like spaceman, but... spaceman. I was in a band called Spaceman Spiff. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. Um, you know, and you sort of understand that like, well, you know, I'm going to have to go to school and then college and then live on my own. And it's like all these things in front of you, but you know, and you're probably gonna have kids and, um, you know, maybe it's the, the archetypal sort of like midlife crisis. Like, what am I aiming at? What am I doing? It's like, I've kind of accomplished the basic set of things that I thought would take my whole life. And Hmm. here I am. And, um, so that may be a part of it. Um, you know, maybe another part of it is that <clears throat> there's been a, there was a significant disruption in the structure of my life several years ago. Mm-hmm. And so much of my attention has been over the last four or five years, I think, focused on current stability mm-hmm. and the, the learning, the, the skills that it took to figure out how do we get sort of through day, the day to day here, mm-hmm. um, you know, learning to be a single parent and learning to take care of a household on my own. And, you know, um, so I think that's, a, that's another part of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the sort of like the how, but I do find myself in the face of that, in the, in the face of a lack of a, of a grand narrative that sort of stretches into the next several decades of my life, I find myself feeling a bit stagnant Mm -hmm. and that makes sense to me as we sort of lay it out like this. Um, so I think it's necessary and important to, you know, it's like maybe you play the game of like, okay, you've got this childhood dream of being a pilot and owning a plane. It's like, maybe just start by saying, well, why? Mm -hmm. And then you answer that. Well, cause it's a childhood dream and I want that, uh, fulfilled. Well, yeah. Why? Mm-hmm. You know, because there's something exciting about it. Well, why? You know, when you <laughs> keep playing this game, 
until you, uh, you arrive at like, oh, it's not that I want a plane necessarily. It's that I want to explore. Mm-hmm. I want to experience things that I haven't yet experienced. Um, I want the ability to delight my friends. Hmm. I want the the ability to like, I want you to have that delight too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want the ability to, you know, say, Hey, let's go to Marfa for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and check out the art or something. And I haven't thought through this very much, so this mm-hmm. might all, you know, sound all that uh, poetic, but I think that's when you start developing a sense of like, okay, a life that meaningfully contains this previously potentially boring aspect, it's no longer boring. It's meaningful because I've, I've cast a vision of a life in which that is contained, mm. and that is a life it seems worth living mm-hmm. with or without the plane, mm-hmm. you know, okay. So what are the aspects of that life and how do I align myself, orient myself in that direction? Yeah. Cause even in the plane could just be a metaphor for something that, that actually manifests itself in a different mm-hmm. way. Like mm-hmm. It could be, you know, the idea of exploring, it could be like, Oh, having enough money to just take off and go somewhere yeah, or, right you know, exploring something that is uh, intellectual or, or, you know, again, it's like, but that plane does take on a, a metaphoric meaning that is, is not just the, um, the literal plane, you know? Right. Well, I thought it was so interesting. Um, we were listening to that conversation between Lex Friedman and Robert Breedlove. Hmm. He was talking about the concept of property. Oh yeah. And how, Property doesn't describe an object. Mm-hmm. Property isn't an object. Mm-hmm. Property is the relationship that you have with mm-hmm. an object. And that was so powerful to me because, well, to use the plane example. Mm-hmm. So I want a plane. Somebody's like, here's a plane. I'm giving it to you. Fantastic. That's mine now. But it's not. Mm-hmm. Because you might own the title, but you know, are you able to maintain it? Are you Mm -hmm. able to store it? Are you able to fly it? Are you able to buy the gas for it? Do you have time to do those things? Do Mm -hmm. you have, um, time, even if you accomplish those things to actually go use it? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, your relationship with it contains all of these other aspects in order for it to be yours. Mm. Um, and so, this is really interesting because we were talking about the idea of a promise. Hmm. So these things that you might want in your life, um, if you imagine that they are promised to you and that, that could be sort of like a, a childhood dream feels so real that you think it's promised or you could think of it in more religious terms. Mm-hmm. But if you just imagine like, even if you were just to decide I'm going to have a plane someday, you don't just wake up and have it. It's like by necessity, in order for you to have it at all, you have to orient yourself toward it in a way that progresses you toward the ability to own it. Mm-hmm. Not just to have it, but to own it. You have to have a relationship yeah. with it. So anytime there's something that you want that is promised to you, either by yourself or by something more transcendent, whatever you, however you want to frame that, you can't receive it unless you orient yourself to it. Hmm. It reminds me of that um, 
Talib quote is like chance favors the prepared. Mm. And there's just, there's, I think that's the same idea of like orient yourself is like, you kind of have to prepare yourself for whatever that might be. So as you tell yourself that story, it's, it's, you take steps in that direction or to prepare yourself for that, you know, whatever it might be, a plane, a yeah. marriage, um, a relationship, uh, <clears throat> a, a job or a, mm-hmm. right. a, a business of some sort, you know, it's like, it's like, if you don't orient yourself and step out, it's like, it's really not, it's really not anything. It's, it's, it's like that, that golly, that makes so much sense. Like, it's, it's, it's Frodo Baggins, you know, you step out the front, your front door, you know, it's like, and you, you orient yourself to the gold, to the dragon, to, to go and, uh, to find and, and, and take the gold, you yeah, know, it's like, right. but if you don't ever step outside of your house, then it's like, you don't have anything. Yeah. It's just a shallow story that you tell yourself that is, um, yeah, just that it's just shallow, you know, there's nothing there. <laughs> So it's like, what's the, <clears throat> but again, let's uh, maybe take it another way. It's like, like, how does that, how does that not work? You know? So it's like, we can tell ourselves sort of like the idea of false stories, you know, something that is yeah. deceptive, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, one, one might be in is like, nobody cares about me, you know, mm-hmm. nobody loves me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, have you, have you put yourself out there? You know, have you gone out and tried to make friends or join a group or uh, an interest or something like that? Uh, cause that, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I just hear my kids say certain things and I'm just sort of like, that's not true. You know, mm, you're, that, yeah. that story you believing is just not true. You know, it's like, like Elias, she says, Oh, I'm just lazy. I'm like, girl, you go work eight hours at the coffee shop and then you go home and do your homework and, and then you get pro- it all and then done. Produce like a shit ton of art. And produce a shit ton of art. Yeah. And she says she's lazy. And that's like, again, it's, it's teenage stuff. It's middle sure. school stuff, yeah. but it's like, and part of me wants to well, really like fight that, but I'm also like, Oh, she's also a kid. You know, it's like, well, sometimes it's an accurate view of her. Yeah. Sometimes it's difficult to fight people's insecurities because well, they're so tied up in a, a telling of the past mm-hmm. that you can't just sort of say, no, you're not, you know, <laughs> I mean, sometimes it works, but it's gotta yeah. be a really close friend who knows you well mm-hmm. that you would submit to enough to say, okay, I believe you. Mm-hmm. Why? Tell me why that's not true. But I think it's an interesting pivot to what, to something else we were kind of getting into before the podcast, which is that you know, anytime, because generally when people speak like that. It's always about the present. You know, Mm. people don't generally say things like I will never have this in the future. Mm -hmm. People aren't generally that what's the word like lacking in hope. Mm -hmm. You know, there's enough potential in the future that it doesn't take much hope to imagine that almost anything could happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So they tend to be statements about the present, like what I have arrived at by via the past, via my experience. And we were talking about that and how, anytime something moves into the past, there's, there's some amount of finality to it Mm. and what it was and how it came to be and how it moved into the past is a long, complicated story that you can't really pull up 
readily. It's just too much. Mm -hmm. You know, even the smallest of encounters can be, you could write a thousand page book about. Yeah. So you sort of have to condense the past into something more and more simple, the further away it gets so that you can talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, and it occurs, it occurred to us talking before the podcast that you have to be really careful when you are doing that condensing mm. because, you know, you have a lot of feelings about the way that things have gone and often think the process of condensing what has happened into sort of shorthand for lack of a better word is also mixed up in motivations for what you want to do in the future. And so you can manipulate a past story mm. into something that serves your future goals and future needs. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's almost always the wrong thing to do mm -hmm. because like, yes, you need to, you need to, well, I would say it's a, it's a, it's the, it's the least mature thing to do because there's a certain, sometimes that can actually help you to move into the future, but it's, I think it's a very immature. Yes. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not an effective way oh, okay, gotcha, to gotcha, move gotcha. into the future. I just mm -hmm. don't think that it's a good way to move into yeah. the future because, mm -hmm. you know, if you're going to aim at something grand, as we're talking about, mm -hmm. if you do that from a place of falsity, yeah. You're, you are setting out from a structure that's unsound hmm. and is going to come apart yeah. on you. And that's going to disorient you and your goals. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that you have to be really careful not to tell a false story about the past. And that's not, it's not easy to do because sometimes it's, it's counter serving. Like it, mm -hmm. it serves the opposite of you moving forward mm -hmm. you know, for a time. Yeah. You know, I think you see that and, and it's so easily manipulated, not only by you, but by other people. Like, I think we saw that this summer with the way that our culture so quickly and dramatically switched, mm. not switched, but like diverted into something new, mm -hmm. you know, and we were, you know, it's like, it seemed to happen just right on the heels of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And we told ourselves a very specific condensed story about that and used that to move into the future that was desired. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good example of, you know, but was that good? Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of people make the argument that, you know, we'd, we had never been divided as divided as we are now. And it was really easy to put that on Trump. Um, but I think a lot of it is the consequence of, telling a story from a, a false premise. Mm. I mean, you even see that with the, the Wuhan virus, you know, it's mm. like, like, no, you cannot say it was in the lab. Like that was so weird. Like, why are you going to die on that hill? It's like, mm -hmm. this is a, this is in the realm of possibilities. And now it's like, it's now okay to, or somewhat okay to start to discuss the possibility of that virus being, you know, um, uh, which it, which seems to be unintentionally like released from that, you know, from the, from the, um, whatever that place is called where the, <laughs> where they work on viruses and move on. Yeah. You know, it's like, but that's the part is like, it's like having those false, false narratives that are not even allowing you to explore, um, 
the possibility of what does this mean? Oh no, you can't talk about that. You can't do that. Well, I think that's my point is because it's like, you can't talk about that because that would threaten the story that's in play Mm -hmm. because the story that's in play was based on a shaky structure. And if you start asking questions like that, the whole, the whole thing may come down here Mm -hmm. on us and that would be catastrophic. Yeah. So, it seems much better to start from a, a position of aiming at your goals from an honest telling of the past. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's almost like you can, you can look at the mainstream media and be like, okay, mainstream media only had bad things to say about Trump and only good things to say about Biden. It's like, what? Like, how can that be so like, uh, again, I'm, I'm not a, a Trump or a Biden supporter, but it just, I just find it very fascinating that that would be, that that's the case. It's like these narratives that are being woven and we're being told mm-hmm. and that it's like, we know it's, it's not that simple. You know, it's like, what's the grand narrative. It's not that this orange man's bad or, uh, the B man is Biden. <laughs> I'm called the B man. I try to get thinking of like what would be good, like orange man, bad versus, uh, <clears throat> Biden is captain B man, captain B man. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Like captain B man is all good and everything he t- touches turns to gold. You know, it's like, but that's kind of what, that's kind of what the media is telling us. It's like, which is really, it's such a shallow narrative. It's, there's, there's no complexity there that is, um, cause we know not, you know, most people are not all good or all bad, you know? Mm-hmm. And the narrative structure seems to be just really, uh, shallow. And I don't know, I don't know how that, was, how that ties into what we're <laughs> talking well, about. I think because, I think it's important to, to be aware of the fact that whatever story you're telling yourself about something, mm. it also exists as a component of a larger story. Mm. You know, so I tell myself <coughs> some story about my divorce, let's say my relationship, mm. you know, but that doesn't, it's not everything like that also exists inside of the story of my relationship with my kids. Mm. That also exists inside of the story of my relationship with my community and with you. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have all of these constituent stories that, that are going on inside of a broader, a broader story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for, with our country, for example, it's like we were so focused on Trump for so long that I think almost everybody lost the narrative of like, oh, we're a country in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and, <laughs> and we're dealing with these complex it- issues and situations (laughs) some of which maybe it's worth being reminded uh don't have our best interests in mind like Mm -hmm. we not everyone is a friend we have enemies we have people who would be willing to take us out if they could Mm -hmm. um we've kind of so if, if you're telling a false narrative about something or at least a narrative which is based in falsity and i think that's maybe the important distinction because there's also a difference between something being false, falsely based and incorrect. Mm, yeah, I like that. Or, or maybe better said, like you, there's something, something can be not true, but not, <coughs> in, not incorrect. <coughs> yeah. And, and the way that you arrive at that is something can be correct, but not true. Because you have to remove so many things from the story for that to be that a statement to be correct, that it just doesn't fit the bill to say it's true. 
and maybe without a specific example, that's a little too. That's pretty abstract. Abstract. Uh, yeah. I think I do follow. I, I did follow you. Maybe you could maybe restate that again. Right? Sure. Well, okay. So, so back to the idea of like condensing the story of the past, mm-hmm. which is a necessary process. And so you can say of something, um, like I could say, you know, if you and I are in a fight, you know, it'd be easy to say, you know, you're always this way, hmm. this <laughs> red flag word, right? Oh yeah. Always, you're always, never. it's like you, you're always, uh, talking over me, mm-hmm. let's say. You know, it's like, is that true? No. Like, that doesn't describe you fully. Mm-hmm. Is it incorrect? Well, not exactly. No. You know, it is something that is affecting our relationship. And mm-hmm. you do it enough that I'm compelled to say, this is how you, you know, act toward me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we have to be careful about the premises because they can lead us hmm, into a place where our, our narrative that we're building off of them becomes easily manipulable by some greater narrative. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that how you said that, like uh, something can be incorrect, but not false. You know, it's like where like it is false that this always happens. You mm-hmm. know, it's like most of the time that's, you're probably exaggerating. It's, it is, it's not true. You know, it's like, um, it's incorrect, you know, uh, or that's false, but it's not incorrect that, that sometimes happens, you know? Uh, so that, that does make sense to me. Like, you know, again, uh, you know, there's plenty of things you can point out about Trump and say like, yeah, <laughs> dude, you need to kind of take it down a notch, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> or two or three, <laughs> right. You know, it's like, but on the other side, it's like Biden, it's like, well, he's not like all roses and, you know, uh, cheesecake. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know what kind it. of date light night you like. <laughs> roses and cheesecake. Uh, you know, so I think that's the part that when we overplay, it's almost like an overplaying the narrative and uh, it just starts to, it just starts to get, again, just, just really shallow and not, um, Yeah, just kind of. There's no depth to it. Like again, I think if if, if we were to tell a story of like all the different things that have happened over the last four to five years, it's like you would expect you would expect a certain amount of tension, a certain amount of complexity to the characters. You know, like any character that is one dimensional is kind of a boring character in a movie. And it's like, mm-hmm. but the thing is, is like nobody is is that simple or are or not complex, you know, it's like, again, you know, uh, it's so easy to use Trump as an example of these things. It's like, you know, he was a son, you know, he grew up, what was it like? You know, it was, he went to high school, he went to, you know, it's like, you know, I'm sure he did some things good, (laughs) you know, it's like, I don't know what they are, but like, you know, uh, you know, Biden, you know, it's like, you know, he's 78 years old or however old he is. It's like, it's like, you know, he says some really kooky things and mm-hmm. why is that? You know? And it's like, Oh, it's just old uncle Joe. You know, it's like, well, wh- why do you give this guy a pass and not the other guy a pass? Like right. that seems like where I know both these, I would assume both these people are a little bit more complex than the picture that's being painted, you know? Um, 
so I think that's the hard thing when we, and I feel like that's starting to come out more and more as, as we start to see these simple narratives mm-hmm. kind of crumbling around us. And it's like, it's, it's becoming harder and harder to believe. Well, certainly both of those men are more complex than the characterizations promulgated by the, the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. And, and <clears throat> this goes back to that idea of like being careful about the, the way that you condense the past. It's the same it's the same thing, but happening in real time. Mm-hmm. I feel like anytime I see somebody <coughs> characterizing someone in a very simple way, I know that there must be some attempted manipulation going on mm-hmm. because no one is that simple. Mm-hmm. You know, not Trump, not Biden. And if you want to ter- to characterize Trump very simply, it's not because you're trying to describe him or reality. It's trying. It's because you're trying to you're trying to usher something of, of your own motives in. Hmm. And I think the same goes for, for Biden in both directions, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, you've got the right insistent that he has dementia and you have the left insistent that he's a moderate, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think either of those things are necessarily true. Mm-hmm. They may become true. You know, I don't know. Yeah. But anytime something seems obviously oversimplified, I think that that should be a red flag for us that there's some, there's some agenda, there's some motive being pushed. Mm -hmm. Like I need it to be this way. So that it's like this, what's the, so that. Mm. Well, it seems like we're talking about as we kind of come to this point, it's like, we're kind of, we have two different lanes or lines that we're kind of drawing here is like, one is the narratives that are, um, spoken to us versus the narratives that we tell ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, uh, and again, they, the, the lines are blurred between sometimes where those things kind of connect, but uh, I, I find it. If, That's a good uh, distinction though. Cause I think most of the time so far we've been talking about the narratives we tell ourselves, but it, we kind of did switch to the narratives that are spoken to us. But I think that's, I think it's fascinating because I think there's, there's, there's elements of both of those things that can almost add insight into Hmm. the narratives that we tell ourselves. Yeah, definitely. Cause I think the, the, the equation there or the similarity between the simplistic characteriz- characterization that's used mm-hmm. to describe something to you is maybe the same thing as the condensed version of the past that you tell yourself. Mm-hmm. And if it gets too overly simplified, you know, you were just always that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're probably trying to manipulate yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not being, mm. you're not being honest with yourself. Yeah. doesn't necessarily mean you're being incorrect, mm-hmm. but you're not being true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely the, the being honest with yourself, like, well, uh, it's interesting. The distinction you made too is like, you know, how we interpret the past versus the vision we cast into the future. Mm-hmm. And we do this thing and that's called the present, <laughs> you know, it's like, there's this present moment. It's almost a song lyric. <laughs> you could take it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, thanks. I've been trying my voice, but you, you, you always tell me I can't sing. So <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So yeah, so there's this thing called the present, but it's it's so dependent on how we interpret the past and, and the vision we cast into the future, and um, yeah. I think that's something that we aim towards is to be able to accurately, or to more accurately represent that in our present, you know, and and 
there's also a realization that as we cast vision into the future and cast that story and narrative into the future, it's like, there's also a reality that it's like, we don't know what will come, but we know it's important to do that. <clears throat> you know, it's like without vision or revelation, it's like the, uh, Oh shoot. I just lost that hmm. quote, but, um, yeah, the, you, you lose, you lose motivation. You know, it's like, there's not, what are you working towards? Um, you know, it could be like you have a story of your past that's really hard and difficult. And it's like, it's good to be, uh, real with that story. Yeah. But it's also, it's like, well, what does that mean for your future? You know, hmm. like, what do you want for yourself, for those around you, for your community? It's so interesting. I think, the present seems to be constituted by our, by the things that surround us, each one of them with some story in play, Mm -hmm. you know, so you say something like you and I are sitting here in my, in my home, Mm -hmm. we're present in my home. Mm -hmm. You know, what is that present? Well, it's constituted by the fact that we're in my home. Well, what is my home? Well, it's the place that my daughter started her sixth grade year of, you know, first, first year in middle school mm-hmm. and came home one day to me crying. Mm-hmm. You know, it, can, it, it, it consists of the past. Mm-hmm. And then you could also say, what is, that, what is this home? Well, it's the place that I'm preparing for my son to graduate college in mm-hmm. or high school in, or it's the place that I'm preparing for a future wife or mm-hmm. future children. Or, uh, you know, if you just sort of live in the present, it doesn't have all that much meaning. Mm. It's like the meaning comes from the, the story that has been lived thus far and also the story that you hope to be lived. And all of a sudden that changes the way that you feel about the present. Mm-hmm. I'm not just in the place that I live, the, this house, this home by nature of the fact that my kids live here. It's like I'm living in a place that has a history and is preparing for something mm-hmm. changes the way that I interact with it. It goes back to what we were talking about with breed love, your relationship to yeah, your home. Right. It's like, uh, you know, if you just bought this house, your relationship is fairly shallow. <coughs> you know, it's like I bought this house for the potential, but then you're also bringing what home meant prior to this into this space. Right. But it's also a new space that you're also going to that, that, that understanding of home is going to grow and have deeper and deeper meaning as, mm-hmm. as you move through into the future. So I think that's, I think what you, how you were saying that was just really, it, it kind of painted a really cool picture in that relationship idea that we have with things is that in it, in itself is meaningless. I mean, it's just walls and computer screens and right. stuff, you know, it's like, but your relationship to that stuff, it's like, that's where you, the computer screens where we do our podcast, you know, and mm-hmm. this table is like, we pull it in and out every <laughs> single Wednesday night, you know, it's like, well, it's so funny how, impo- how important those things become too. Like mm-hmm. this, we've been using this table for a couple of years and this table mm-hmm. is like, it falls apart on us all the time. <laughs> and I remember like a year ago saying, you know, Hey, we had to like find a table, uh-huh. you know, a new table. Yeah. But now a year later, it's kind of like, 
it wouldn't feel right. This is the table. You know, we're it's just the gonna table. around to it. We're gonna have this like really expensive studio, yeah. and, and we're gonna have a table. <laughs> well, but so we're talking about all this, and I, I think, okay, it's clearly more powerful to say rather than to say we're sitting in my house. Mm-hmm. We say we're sitting in my home, mm-hmm. the home where these things happened, the home where my hope is that these things will happen. Mm-hmm. That's clearly more powerful. Mm-hmm. Because you're now in the midst of a story. Mm-hmm. So what is the present then? It's like the intersection of those two things. Oh, interesting. And so what do you, you know, what do you do being present in a house? Well, I don't know. What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. But what do you do at the intersection of the past and the future and the story that, that runs through that line? Hmm. It's like you orient yourself to that. Mm-hmm. It's that's, what else can you do? That's fascinating. You orient yourself to where you are facing with the history at your back. Mm-hmm. This idea, the colloquialism, like standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm. You know, they're in your past or at least below you outside of your gaze. You orient yourself with your past at your back and your future ahead of you. Mm-hmm. You know, not left and right. Mm-hmm. You know, holding on to the past, holding on to the future. You're not oh, a bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You orient yourself in that direction. Yeah, it's even like, uh, again, the shores, you know, it's like the the chaos of the future, the unknown, the potential, you know, where, uh, you, but then you have this island of things that have been, that have been and are interpreted, you know, and you kind of face out into the unknown Mm -hmm. and look and see and like what is to come. But you, you're on this, you're in this, you're in this space in between. But I love that how you said that it's it's really the present is all about orienting yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, because we have that situation. I mean, we have that choice at every moment throughout the day. It's like, uh, like I'm going to orient myself towards eating breakfast well, why are you going to do that? Well, so that I can be productive for the day or hmm. get my cup of coffee. It's like, well, I'm orienting myself or to a time of reflection, but all these things are orienting yourself to the future, you know? Um, so it seems like it's, it'd be interesting even like to think about free will and, and, uh, in this, in this area and consciousness too, as far as, you know, cause I've been thinking a lot about chance and luck and, you know, uh, um, serendipity. It's, it's, there's these things that it's like, how, like, why do these things happen? Like, why do some people get a million dollars or a billion dollars or zero dollars or lose everything? And, and plenty of people that have made a lot of money have also lost everything. And, and there's a sort of like place where everyone comes to, it's like the really only choice you have in life is how you orient yourself. It's mm-hmm. like in, in aiming at something, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know if, I don't know what, what else, what else. Um, well, let's ex- expand that idea too. Mm-hmm. I think orientation has something to do with positioning, mm-hmm. <clears throat> obviously, but I also think it has something to do with preparedness okay. and this, you know, if we expand the, the notion of being present in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, well, what does that mean? Present in the moment, the moment the moment is outside of time. The moment is in, is immeasurably small. Mm-hmm. Time is stopped in the moment, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but if we expand that out and say, well, it means to be present here at dinner. 
mm-hmm. you know, um, or here at bedtime or here um, during this podcast. Mm-hmm. So during that moment, that moment in which time exists, in which you have agency. So to orient yourself within that space, it will, it will transform that whole space. Mm-hmm. You know, because if if the story that I am living at the intersection of, if I understand what that consists of, even in very generalized, almost like impressionistic sort of terms, well, it's going to change the way that I interact with things Mm -hmm. such as like, so let's use dinner for an example. If I'm, if I'm going to orient myself toward, let's say this home being the home that my kids graduate high school in. And then I say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means there will be proms. There will be friends. There will be parties. Mm -hmm. There will be late nights. There will be heartaches, heartaches. Mm -hmm. There will be first cars, car crashes. Mm -hmm. There will be all kinds of things that we know make up that sort of very predictable story of youth. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then what does it mean to orient myself to that at the dinner table? Mm. Well, first of all, I'm going to set the table because it's like, I'm going to prepare the table for what I want to happen. Mm Mm-hmm for the story that I'm being a part of. And before that, I'm going to make sure that the table's clean. And then I'm going to serve food that's going to be enjoyable to eat, hoping that we can have conversation that's productive to have, to grow the love, which is necessary to maintain a relationship Mm. through all of those things. And then afterward, I'm going to make sure that that's all clean so that the kids can do their homework or an art project or if a friend pops over, they're not embarrassed that our house is junky and dirty or whatever, you know, it's like, so all it's like, this starts informing all these decisions Mm -hmm. that otherwise would just be somewhat arbitrary. Mm -hmm. They only become meaningful in the context of that, of that line through the orientation of the moment. And that becomes, I think much more described as preparedness. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm preparing things for the way that I want things to be. Mm-hmm. And this goes to your, what you said. Uh, you said Talib said that uh, chance favors the prepared. prepared yeah. Yeah. And it starts kind of demolishing ideas of luck in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, surely there is luck. Like winning the lottery is no nothing other than luck. But even then, it's it's <clears throat> there's a there's an aspect of like it'd be lucky if you won the lottery and you didn't buy a ticket. Okay. So you're just like, walking down the street and you yeah, pick one up. Yeah. You pick one up or, uh, I mean, even then there's a certain thing about that is like, you picked it up. Why did you pick this mm. piece of paper up? It was trash. You could it have ignored trash. it. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, again, but there's a, there's a, there's a <laughs> getting very quickly into free will versus determinism <laughs> as you predicted. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but it's, but it's really fascinating because there's, because it's like, again, there's this aspect of chance and luck. But there's also like, just in the examples I was saying is like, but you oriented yourself in a way, like I'm going to pick this ticket off the ground and you won the lottery. Mm-hmm. It's like something in you oriented yourself to the possibility, you know, that this could be a winning ticket, you know, even if it was kind of a joke to yourself, but you still picked it up, you know, why? And I think that's, I think that's the part is that the more we start to orient ourselves in that way, 
um, mm. the more things that we're uh, uh, open to, you know, I think that's... Yeah, maybe the more curious you get, mm-hmm. which actually just orients you more or opens you up more to more possibility. Mm-hmm. Because if you're heading towards something which is defined at all, even vaguely, mm-hmm. the first thing that I think happens is you're like, and if you believe that it can happen to any degree, mm-hmm. the, then the first response that you have to that is like, oh, I wonder how this happens. Where some things have to change, obviously, for me to get this thing, mm-hmm. this life that I want or whatever. Yeah. How might that change? Mm-hmm. I wonder if it changes this way or like, you know, all of a sudden your eyes are open to the world around you, the chaos around you looking for the order that matches the, the patterns of the story set mm. in front of you. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Well, even, I mean, and I think that's part of the looking at your, like when you're, when you, when you are actually reoriented by the past in the future, you know, say you reflect on your past and a new sort of revelation comes to you that, Oh, wow, I see how I was not oriented correctly, you know, like, um, um, you know, oh, I should have been, I should have in that conversation with my son, I should have been less frustrated, you know, so maybe next time I can take an extra breath or something like that and Mm -hmm. be like, okay. I remember last time that I kind of overreacted in this moment, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, so there's a, there's that part that well, your past informs your, your present, which then changes your, your future. But, uh, Oh shoot. I I lost my thread on that one. Um, but I think the basic idea was that like we will, we, it's not that when you orient yourself to the future that you have it right. I think there's something that Mm. is like, there's, there's going to be some really hard lessons that, reality will teach you that you don't necessarily want to learn and that you will find out that you've oriented yourself incorrectly or wrongly. You know, it's like wrongly in the worst places, like, you know, it's like if you, if you take somebody's life and, you know, then you put in jail, it's like, Oh, I kind of oriented myself wrongly, you know, you know, but if it was like in saving somebody's life and you, you know, killed somebody or something like that, it's like, I don't think I want to go down that road. But, well, but, I think the point you're making is yeah. is an important one and maybe makes su- uh, supports our initial observation of like, you need a grand narrative mm-hmm. and it needs to be sufficiently grand such that short term failure doesn't uh, there you go. take you far enough off the course that that vision dies completely. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's not, then you're just, you're just miserably failing at every goal you set. Mm-hmm. It's like you want to set a goal that allows for failure because you're never going to progress through. Well, you're never going to progress toward any goal in a linear way, in a straight mm-hmm. line. And we all know this because nobody cares about a story that progresses straightforwardly. <laughs> yeah. The thing that makes story interesting, which I think we kind of, you know, went into in depth in the previous episode of this, mm-hmm. of this podcast. It's like, y- you want the surprise of something unexpected happening because that's how you develop. It's how you grow. Mm. It's how you change, you know, no new information, no discomfort, 
no surprise, no growth. And so no story worth listening to. But what if you deny, I mean, what if you deny, um, I don't know if that reality or a narrative, or you, you try to take on a narrative that is arguably false, you know, it's like, or deceptive in that you're trying to, um, tell a story that is fundamentally not true. Like, like all black people are this, all white people are that, um, all, uh, all corporations or businesses are a certain way. It's like, you know, you orient yourself to like taking down people of a certain, you know, religious group or something like that. You know, it's like, so I'm, I'm, I guess the point I'm kind of getting at is, well, how do you know that your, your narrative is not a false narrative, you know, or not just incorrect, but also false. It's that it's, it's projecting you into a future that is actually dangerous and, mm. and horrible <clears throat> because if you orient yourself to that, then it's like sort of like begets like, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Well, my gut reaction to that is that in the same way that we know that a story without the unexpected surprise isn't worth telling. I also think in a sense, a story which is not redemptive hmm. is, isn't really worth telling. Interesting. Why redemptive? Like, well, because the, the past is full of ills, full of wrongdoing full of wrong turns, mm -hmm. full of things that you want corrected. It's like you wouldn't even desire to move into the future if the past was all that it could have been. The future is better than the past. To not believe so is supposed to be either nihilistic or, <clears throat> well, destructive enough to do something like walk into a school and start killing people. Mm -hmm. We know that these are stories we don't want told. Mm -hmm. We don't want these things happening. So a story that's worth being told is redemptive by nature, mm. imperfect also, mm -hmm. but either redemptive or contains a massive dose of hope towards redemption. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of like the civil rights movement in general. I think there were so many lessons that we learned and should be continue to learn is like hate does not drive out hate, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, the, um, uh, um, you know, it's like you don't defeat racism with more racism. You know, there's, right. there's, uh, you know, judge people not by the color of their skin, by the context of their character. You know, there's, there's these things that I think were really, developed during that time that, you know, in this present age where we are right now, it's, it's almost being revived in that you should judge people by the character, by their, the, the, the color of their skin, you know, it's like, which is almost scary. Like, you know, well, and you asked, how can you tell if the narrative that you're telling yourself is false? Mm -hmm. And I, I think the way that you can tell is as you tell the narrative, as you tell the story, as you orient to the story hmm. and move through time, 
are things being redeemed? Oh, interesting. Yeah. If they're not, I think there's a high probability that the narrative you're telling is false. Mm-hmm. And again, this gets into the difficulty of like, does it mean that the narrative is incorrect? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, but it comes from falsity. Mm-hmm. And so that false narrative isn't redeeming the world. It isn't redeeming you. Almost it, it's the humility in, the, in, in accepting your foolishness in understanding that you're projecting something into the future that is actually incorrect, not false, but incorrect. And that you're working towards so refining yeah, the, that. Well, yeah, that, that, that isn't a possible inverse. Mm-hmm. You could be telling a true narrative, but have, have something about it incorrect. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> I think that's the safer of mm-hmm. the two options, because if the narrative is true, mm-hmm but you have something of it incorrect, you're going to know really quickly whether or not that's incorrect. Mm -hmm. And so then you adjust that. And this is part of what makes a good story is Mm. a good story is based in, is redemptive by nature Mm -hmm. and contains that zigzagging, the the failure. It's like, oh, that was incorrect. That didn't fit the narrative. Mm -hmm. It didn't fit and things didn't go right. So you got to correct yeah. It's like more people keep dying. Like why <clears throat> right. is that? <laughs> but it's, I think it's much more dangerous if you are living a narrative that is false and is based in falsity. And then you have things that are correct. Oh, good call. Because how do you, well, how do you correct? Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of course correction. Yeah. It's not a matter of incorporating new information and throwing out some false information. Huh. You have to throw out the whole structure it's almost it, it, almost in a Hitlerian kind of way. Hopefully I don't get in trouble on this one. I, I, I want to try to say it correctly, but it's like Hitler was false in his projection onto the Jews that they were the problem with um, attributed to the problems of what was going on in Germany. However, he was correct in identifying the things that he was blaming on the Jews, you know? Like they were greedy or they were, you know, it's like all these different things, but he was correct in like, but about mankind, you know, but he was directing in a false way. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So I would say maybe I'll save you from the greedy one. Yeah. Because that was a bit of the, the racist stereotype, mm-hmm. which I think came from something correct, which is that mankind, well, Jews in general tend to, on average, be more intelligent and make more money mm-hmm. and handle money differently. Mm-hmm. So, okay, the stereotype arises that they're greedy. Well, that's that's the racist observ uh, the, the racist spin on the observation mm-hmm. that comes from the false narrative. Yeah, that seeks to scapegoat the Jews. Which I'm, which the point I'm making is that the correct part of it is is that in humans, in general we have a, a greediness to us, true, whether it be for true, land true. or so it's like, so you could still, you could, you could isolate that into a certain people group or something like that, or a certain race, like all white people are like this or, or, you know, or whatever it might be, you know, it's like, yeah, well, but the, the, you might be correct in, in what you're saying, but not, but false in the, in the application of attributing it to a race or a right. gender or something like Which that. Which is the same, the same th- as saying that the narrative is false, mm-hmm. but you know, it could be correct that Jews per capita are making more money in Germany, mm-hmm. 
but the narrative is false. Yeah. The problem with having a, something correct within a false narrative mm-hmm. is that it's really hard to argue mm-hmm. with because you can say your narrative is false. No, look, they're making more money. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's correct, but your narrative is false mm-hmm. because narrative... <laughs> Well, it only deals with correct and incorrect so far as it as it attains as it pertains to achieving its goal. Mm-hmm. So, if you disagree with the goal, if you say the narrative is false, mm-hmm. you can't really argue the particulars. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. that's what's so um, that's what's so hard about the you know, what would you call it? The culture war, mm-hmm. which I, doesn't seem right to me. That doesn't seem to get to it, whatever it is that's going on in the West right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so hard to argue because so often I find myself wanting to argue the particulars. Yeah. And it occurs to me during this conversation that that's a bit futile. Mm-hmm. So you have to argue the narrative, but that's hard because the narrative has things that are correct and mm-hmm. it can do this Moton Bailey thing. Yeah. Let's say Moton Bailey. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't have any good answers for how you, how you engage that. I would defer to. Well, I think that's the part too. It's like, it's, 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 I think that's the problem that we're having is sometimes we're trying to address these false narratives or stories that are perverted rather than casting a new vision. Mm hmm. You know, I think that's the part that's lacking is not what you're against or how something's false or bad or incorrect or whatever. It's like, it's like we need people who are casting a vision into the future, you know, that's not about hate or, um, you know, vilifying and demeaning other people, you know, it's like. It's like, what does it look like to, for us to move into the future with all of us having mm. different thoughts and different beliefs and ideas and oh, that's cultures? Really and and I think you're seeing a lot <clears throat> today where your people are trying to uh, assume the narrative of whatever belief structures or understandings they have rather than allowing the space and the room for others to participate in that. Well, this is what I, I think you're totally right that the, the proper response or the compelling response, or maybe the only successful response to mm-hmm. a false narrative is to cast a new vision, mm-hmm. to cast a narrative based in truth and, and project that up and say, no, here, look, mm-hmm. doesn't this compel you? Doesn't mm-hmm. this inspire you? And that's not easily done, but it, it always has bewildered me because I think, so much of what is going on in the West right now is based in this postmodernist Marxist mm-hmm. power structure um, vision casting, and it's like, what's the end goal of that? Mm-hmm. You know, what is the what is the ideal that's being projected? Equity. Mm-hmm. Everyone has the same. Mm-hmm. Everything is the same. No one is in want of anything, and I think. That's not compelling at all. Yeah. Because what, there's what no there's no story there. Mm-hmm. So we arrive at this point and then what? We're all just bored for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, who is it that was it Kierkegaard that was like if that 
would it were ever to manifest that man had every every desire met all, all everything to eat everything to sleep with oh, yeah. everything he would immediately set out to destroy something out of sheer boredom mm-hmm. because there's no story in that it also assumes that we all want the same thing you know that what does it mean for us for equity <laughs> which is actually which is so counter to the idea of diversity yeah it's like the premise is diversity in the the goal is sameness. Uh huh. The whole thing <laughs> seems so uninteresting to me. Yeah. I don't understand how it time and time again grips cultures to their core, to war, mm-hmm. to to <laughs> tolerate and withstand famine mm-hmm. and death. I don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the thing. I'm sorry, you, you kind of got me stuck on this equity thing now. It's like, it's like that everybody wants the same thing. Like that, it's just not. It's absurd. It's absurd. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like what we value is so different from person to person that it's, it would be hard to distinguish and to, uh, oh shoot, that one guy's uh, essay, uh, I think it's Vonnegut's essay about the, the tall person has to wear weights and the Harrison Bergeron, Harrison Bergeron. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I reread that the other night. Did you? So good. <laughs> it's so good. It's like, it's, it, we don't really know what we want when we're talking about this equity thing, you know, it's like, but it's like, but what we really want is for people to have the opportunity to succeed. And, uh, and that means that you also have the opportunity to fail. Mm-hmm. Well, what is, you can't have what is success at all without mm-hmm. failure without the opportunity to fail yeah, yeah. right uh-huh i mean every, you have to have the potential for both for either to mean anything mm-hmm. and if there isn't the potential for either then nothing can happen mm-hmm. it's like everything has to stop yeah and then somebody has to dictate what that means like, do I get to dictate what equity means? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> like who's, who's going to dictate? Is this like a, a council that's going to dictate? Oh, well, but that's exactly what has to happen is because everyone isn't the same and they don't want the same things. So equity has to be dictated. Equity isn't something that you just observe. Mm-hmm. You're not, you don't just like, oh, look, I see everything's equal. Mm-hmm. No. It's, it's not because no individual is the same and they will have different feelings about every single thing. Mm-hmm. So equity must be dictated. It must be mandated and then judged by someone. It reminds me of, uh, it has nothing to do with reality. It has everything to do with tyranny. Yeah. Do you remember, uh, did you read, um, uh, Madeline Engel's, uh, uh, Oh, time. What's it? A wrinkle in time uh-huh. where those like every kid comes out the same time and bounces the ball five times and then goes back in his and the mom comes out and says, come in. Such a disturbing. So disturbing. <clears throat> and then like they were they were they were looking through the windows, I think, and seeing like, oh, wait, what are these kids doing out? They're messing this up. Like there's something different here. Right. And like, uh, I mean, it's like. I don't know why that's this is not obvious to people. It's like we all do. And it's like. You know, is is it two two cars in a uh, a three bedroom house? Is that what we all like? <laughs> well, just think, if you think about like what are the popular um, 
paradigms. Mm-hmm. It's like Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty popular. We all use it. We're all on there. Why? To show off our lives. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we're differentiating ourselves. Mm. We're saying, here's the things I like. Here's the things I see. We wouldn't post them if we didn't think they were different than someone else's. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have any interest, you know, if they weren't different from somebody else's. The opposite is also true. We wouldn't post it and it wouldn't matter to anyone else if it was so different that it couldn't even be understood or categorized. Mm. It's like it has to be, which is exactly what socialization into a culture is. It's mm. like you're relevant in a culture because you understand it enough to conform to it but also understand it enough to differentiate from it. And that what's, that's what gives you any sort of interest at all. Mm. And so, you know, in an equitable society, Instagram would have no value. No, everybody would have, all have 10,000 followers. <laughs> well, not even that. It's like everyone, you know, e- even if such a, a, a social network existed, no one would look at it. Mm. So it would cease to exist. Well, I think that's the part that, that people are not willing, willing to do is to take, to take these ideas to their logical conclusions. You know, it's like, it's like you want to, it's like, again, this is with Sam with in free will, you know, it's like, he wants to, he wants to talk about this deterministic aspect, but then he also all of a sudden says like, but we kind of look at it from the outside. It's like, wait a minute, you look at it? who's this you, Mm. this thing that stands outside of this deterministic world. Mm -hmm. And I I find that in most people's arguments, once they, they, they no longer allow themselves to go to the logical conclusion of their, um, their uh, vision or their history or their, the narrative that they're forecasting into the future. You know, it's like, it's like the, the logical, um, result of an equitable society projected into the future is that there is no difference between everybody. You know, it's like that everybody has the same things. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's, that's what that comes to the logical conclusion of that. And you can argue against it, but then now you're, now you're talking about a differentiation that somebody could have a different view but that would make them different and no longer equal and no longer e- equitable. Yeah. Equal. Do you say equal with equitable? Well, equality and equity are different. Yeah. Um, well, so maybe you would say now you're different. So you're no longer equitable. Yeah. That sounds weird to say, but like that's, that, but that's kind of a, that might not be the right verbiage, but that's, that's the right that's the point. And it, 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 so it doesn't make any sense. And I find people doing all these rain dances to kind of get around. I don't know. It's like, I think you can make it make sense. What I don't Try. understand. <laughs> well, okay. I just, sorry. I don't believe that. I don't think you can make it make sense. And by that, I mean, I don't think it's possible. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, plausibly describe to me a way in which that happens. Mm -hmm. But also, even if you could, the result is so damn boring Mm -hmm. that I can't imagine how anyone would ever want it. Mm -hmm. And so I think in order to want that, 
it has to be coming from a place of anger. Hmm. It's not necessarily about achieving that. It's about taking revenge on the past. And so this goes back to this idea of like stories worth telling are redemptive. They redeem the past rather than take revenge on it. So I think the whole thing is based in a false narrative and it leads to a logically false place, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter because the point was never to redeem. The point was to take revenge Mm -hmm. and it only brings destruction. But I think that to someone who's angry, destruction is somewhat delicious. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strong term, but you know, we all know that, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, hmm. I mean, the example that comes to mind is that we all have is some X that we're upset with. Mm-hmm. You know, and you kind of secretly hope that their next relationship's terrible or something. <laughs> you know, there's something potentially delicious in that. <laughs> so you, you know, and that's just like a trivial, dumb thing, right? Like we don't mm-hmm. really, but when it comes to like really broad narratives, really grand narratives to where it's like the inner workings are really hard to understand mm-hmm. and what's correct about them and incorrect about them is hard to understand. And if the premise of the narrative is driven by anger, you're not going to be able to successfully control that into redemption. Mm -hmm. Like this goes back to the statement earlier, which is that a narrative based in falsities is easily manipulated by a broader narrative to use it Mm -hmm. for its own motives. And this is the same thing as like a simple characterization of a, of a person. It's like, that's not a description of a person. It's a tool within your narrative to accomplish something that you want. Oh, good point. Yeah. It's like, if you can almost like, um, vilify or simplify the other characters in your story, mm-hmm. it's so much easier to, um, to get rid of them or to, um, oh, what, how do you say it? Like, um, you know, like all Republicans are this or all Democrats are this, you know, it's like, it's so much easier to sort of like dismiss. That's the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Dismiss them into, in the, in the idea of your vision and, and understanding of the future. <clears throat> yeah. I, 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 it's like almost, do you want a world where, Well, just look at that. Just observe the first phenomenon Mm. of a narrative which dismisses people. Yeah. I mean, is this redemption? Is this redemptive? Is this a story that people are interested in reading? You know, and how many steps do you have to go from dismissal from the narrative Mm -hmm. to concentration camps? Mm-hmm. Dismissal from life itself. Yeah. I mean, just look at the fruits of the narrative and say, is this a story worth telling? Is this a story that's based in truth or based in falsity? Well, I think the argument against this, again, I don't think for any people who actually voice that they believe in that idea, 
Cause they, they would say that, Oh, it wouldn't get there. Like we would live in this really happy, clappy, you know, everyone gets along. I, I'm kind of being dismissive on that language. Um, try to be more true, but, but this idea of, you know, there are certain people in this world that have more than they should. And we've determined that this number or this arbitrary space is more than what you should. And, and, you know, you can argue that, but, and these people who have less than that should get some of what those people have. Well, part of me too is like, is like, I feel like if you start, if you start orienting your society where there's every, you're bringing everybody to the average You know, do you want that, or do you want a society that, which would and then basically give nobody anybody any incentive to, uh, to, or inspiration to go beyond that and to think about, you know, you know how can we how can we do better with our energy? How can we go to the moon? Do we need to be an interplanetary species? You know, it's like, <clears throat> it's like you can't, you cannot, you will not produce those types of people if you're always trying to draw everybody down to the average now there's negative consequences and i think that's the part that that needs to be you know uh uh confronted in the in the other way is like you know with with the idea of like equal opportunity it's like giving people the opportunity to succeed and fail and that you will have people who fail and fail miserably you know it's like and people who succeed but at the same time, I think we've seen in the West, even with some of the, the negative aspects of, you know, capitalism is how much it's actually helped the entire world, whether it be energy, mm-hmm. computers. Uh, I mean, it's just like the list goes on. You just are, you know, microwaves, you know, just from going to the moon. I mean, there's so many things that have come out of the West that have benefited the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Some other things else have also not been so good, but... Well, and I think this is what you're saying. But it's, mm-hmm. it's like there are also negative consequences to inequality. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's negative consequences to equity. Yeah. There's also negative consequences to inequality. For example, um, relative inequality within a locale tends to increase crime. That's not good for anyone. So, yeah, it's like inequality should be dealt with. Mm-hmm. But the solution isn't equity. Yeah, totally. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm, and this goes back to your point about it's like you got to cast a new vision here. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're the ones to do that. I mean, I'm I don't have a solution for that. Yeah, but I can see that both are problems. Mm-hmm. But at least now it's like we're standing squarely within a true premise, and we can say, okay, we need a narrative that incorporates this. Yeah. We need a narrative that inspires us. That says, hey, we're now at the intersection of something true. Mm-hmm. Let's move. It's like, let's change towards something redemptive. Hmm. Well, I think that's the part that uh, I forgot who it was that said this. I, I'm so, I, I think this is like a, a very valuable thing. Is there's a, there's a certain part that the government plays a role in society. And it's, it's in the, I don't know how to say this, like the lower averages of people, like as far as like, um, like you have a group called drug addicts, you know? And it's like, will these drug addicts ever stop doing drugs? 
The answer to is yes and no. Hmm. Some might. So it's like, so you have to put this sort of like blanket capturing over this area that kind of helps those people for the possibility to, to then come Mm -hmm. out, you know, Mm -hmm. however, it's not the government's role to go beyond that sort of like base layer of our society. You know, it's like once you start getting into, it's like once somebody comes out of that base layer, then I feel like that's the role of society to take those people into the next space. You know, it's like charities and stuff like that. Like, like we have to have an interaction into that space that will help those people and give them opportunities to, to rise above. Mm -hmm. But I think like the government's role is more in that, that lower level of like, if you want this, it's available and we're going to help you. And then we're going to push you to this next space, which is charity or, you know, some sort of like, uh, nonprofits or whatever it might be right. that then gives the next leg up because like it, it requires more specialization the further you get outside of that base layer of depravity, right. you right. know? And, and I'm being very, I'm, I'm throwing some big generalizations out here, but like, uh, I, I feel like there's something, I, I feel like the government's trying to play too big of a role in some of the things that, that are more, it's more useful for specialization hmm which government and bureaucracy are incapable of. I think that's very obvious. <laughs> well, was, uh, there was an interview with Matt Ridley. Um, I think it was on Jordan Peterson's podcast and they were talking about the problem with incremental improvement like that, which mm-hmm. you just described, which uh, that's what that is. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, things are getting better. And if you look at the last hundred years alone, the amount of progress we've made is, is staggering. staggering yeah. Um, but it's incremental mm-hmm. and it's really hard to build a marketing campaign mm. around incremental progress, which I think just highlights the point that we've been making mm. all night, which is that you, you know, it's like <laughs> we're a little deep into the podcast, oh. too far into <laughs> political theory, but it's like, yeah. <clears throat> Politicians run on short-term dramatic progress narratives. Mm-hmm. And you, you just can't make one around incremental progress, which is the main driver of progress. Yeah. So you need a grander narrative hmm. in order to in, that incorporates all of that and celebrates the progress mm-hmm. and can celebrate the progress because the incremental progress isn't the end-all be-all. So if you're disappointed by the rate of progress, you can still look to the the vision of the grand narrative and say, hey, this is one of a bunch of things that are manifesting the thing that I'm inspired by. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the problem with politicians is they can't project that. Their time frame is too short. Necessarily so. It's like the solution wouldn't be, you know, hey, we should have a Putin who's just in office until he dies. Yeah. You know. Which I think why the Constitution and our early forefathers wanted to limit government was for that very reason, is that the incremental change is better established by the individual citizens acting. And the grand narrative is better established by Mm -hmm. the society at large and the community. And maybe that's part of the problem is that we don't have the unifying aspects, say, of a a common belief system. Mm Mm-hmm. 
religious or otherwise mm-hmm. um, anymore. Yeah. God is dead. <laughs> and we end. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> well, uh, we, 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 I think we're going to have to like, where we left off here, we'll have to pick up on the next one. Cause I think there's okay. some really, we're about to jump into a whole nother set of things that was pretty, uh, I don't know. I want to, don't want to get into some more. Well, let's, let's take some post podcast notes and mm-hmm. set up our jumping off point. Sounds good. What the cheers again. We, yeah, yeah, this was a good one. Correctly. This was good. <laughs> Enjoyed that. Yeah, definitely guys. Thanks for coming out. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thumbs <laughs> out. To the shore. <laughs> <laughs>